I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and associate professor of communication, Boston University, Tammy V. Hill, PhD, and her new book is Millennia and Michelle, Millennia, hmm, Melania and Michelle, First Ladies in a New Era. As many would probably agree, our most recent First Ladies, Michelle Obama and Melania Trump, seem to be polar opposites in almost every way. After the nation's recent shootings, the differences were, once again, hard to ignore. What is the right way to react for First Ladies, given that the role in in and of itself has no formal description, nor are First Ladies elected officials? Tammy V. Hill explores how each woman has crafted her public image and used her platform to influence the country, while also serving as a paragon of fashion and American womanhood. Uh, Tammy studies political campaign rhetoric and women as political communicators and has served as Associate Dean of the College of Communication at Boston University. Her recent books include Moms in Chief and Connecting with Constituents. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Tammy. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate uh, uh, you inviting me on. Well, okay, first question, I guess. Uh, why study these first two ladies? Maybe, you know, in this era, and you say this is a very different era. And as part of that question is why is there – what is their impact on the American public, and why is it so important? I think that's three questions. Well, I think- <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a lot packed into that. Uh, those questions there. Um, well, I think that that it's important to study first ladies uh, generally across the board, anyway, uh, because they are viewed. They are sometimes some of the most visible women in politics, um, and we do have these sort of changing expectations of first ladies and the first ladyship altogether. And sometimes that informs us quite a bit about what we think about American wo- women and womanhood. Uh, combined. And so I think the way that we treat these women, the way that we talk about them, uh, the things that we expect from them and the way that our expectations change tell us a lot about how we still struggle and deal with uh, gender expectations as a country as a whole. And so studying uh, current first ladies and also comparing them to the past, because throughout the book, I like to bring in lots of anecdotes about past first ladies as well to give some context to what's going on. Uh, I think that's very important so that we can really have a, a more meaningful discussion about what our expectations are, how we sometimes still embrace very traditional perspectives on womanhood and, and how we're trying to uh, sometimes modernize our perspectives and how the first ladies tend to become this sort of focal point for both of those kinds of ideas, the traditional yeah. approach and also more contemporary role modeling. Well, so the key word would be changing expectations. What are our changing expectations? And I'm making the assumption, obviously, that we have changing expectations for, or our expectations have changed for Melania and Michelle, as opposed to maybe first ladies in the past. Although having read your book, there are, are a lot of similarities. And I very often, I think we as Americans really don't have the, don't know, or we're just ignorant about the context in which first ladies have functioned. Way back to Martha Washington, who's. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, one of the things, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say she had endured maybe as much criticism or critiquing as Melania and Michelle. We just don't seem to know about it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, we were obviously, you know, usually more attuned to what's going on within our current era. And we sort of always seem to think like, oh, we're so unique about, you know, how we're treating different people or how we're thinking about them. But you're right. Martha Washington, 
from the day she she moved to, it was actually New York City at the time, that was where the, the nation's capital was, when she moved to New York City, people loved the fact that she was wearing clothes made by American designers, hated the fact that her carriage was so ornate and looked like she was royalty. And so she was adored and criticized from all sides from the very moment that she arrived to, to take on the role of first lady. And so uh, you're right that we tend to have these sort of rose-colored glasses looking back at first ladies, um, and we're not so generous or charitable to the current first lady uh, and so I think that always becomes a bit of an issue in terms of contextualizing. That's why I like to add a lot of the anecdotes so we get a sense of, of how this has or hasn't changed. We serious, we haven't changed in that we're critiquing these women in lots of similar ways for fashion, for doing enough or not doing enough in terms of our views of what they should or shouldn't be doing. Um, yeah, you bring in Dolly Madison, just one of, more, one, one of the other anecdotes, yeah. I think, which is really fun, which I had never heard. Uh, Dolly Madison, they had rumors that she had had an affair with Thomas Jefferson and that they, yeah. whether it was true or not, I guess we don't really know. But that yeah. was to sort of dis, to discourage her husband's campaign. Right. Yeah. Well, she because uh, Thomas Jefferson didn't have uh, a spouse, his, his wife had died 18 years before he took over the White House. Uh, Dolly Madison actually stepped in and did a lot of the ceremonial duties of the First Lady. And so then when Dolly Madison's husband, James Madison, ran for president, his uh, his opponents tried to say that you didn't want to vote for James Madison because Dolly Madison was not moral enough to be First Lady because she'd been having this affair or alleged affair. Um, and nobody could prove it, but it became a, a sticking point in the campaign. And so I think that's kind of interesting because we're still using First Ladies as campaign markers. Like one of the big parallels in that case was uh, in 2016 when uh, opponents of Donald Trump put out the the nude photos of Melania Trump saying, oh, you can't have her as your first lady. She's not moral enough. So you kind of see the reflection that comes back again to, to these old standard kinds of arguments where you're making the spouse the center point of an argument as opposed to actually the candidate. And so I think, you know, well, some of the stuff we expect is new, like, you know, obviously the use of new communication technologies for Melania and Michelle uh, both was a different expectation. Some of the old school treatments of first ladies still persist over time. Well, I I think, as you say in the book, I mean, they are, and I'm putting this in parentheses, they are unelected officials. So in a way, they are an official, but they're not official, and their role isn't well-defined. And so I guess our expectations for them aren't well-defined either. Um, Oh, that's very true, very true. (laughs) We we basically change our expectations based on a lot of different things. One is, you know, just a, a shift in how we view women and what we expect them to be, but also, you know, there are partisan approaches to how we, what our expectations are. In some cases, you know, people tend to treat the spouses of Republican presidents different than the spouses of Democratic presidents. They, you know, depending on what, what side of the political aisle you tend to stand on, that, you know, the way that you critique them is very, very different, even though yeah, they're Give us some examples of that, because I, I think that's important. That, that's, and, and obviously you emphasize that in your book. But, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Well, I think that one of the the fun parts. I mean, I I know this is uh, this is this is this is uh, a verbal exchange, so people can't necessarily see it. But if you go online and look for the cover of the book, the cover of the book has a picture of Michelle Obama and Melania Trump having uh, tea before their first lady meeting, which is the meeting that first ladies have the 
outgoing and the incoming uh, to then tour the White House and sort of get a sense, give the, uh, the new incoming person a sense of how the White House is run. And on that, in that picture, you see Melania Trump sitting there with wearing a sheath dress with her arms bare. And, Mel- and Michelle Obama had been heavily critiqued for showing her bare arms. Uh, a lot of folks on the, the Republican side of the aisle complained that that was unladylike, that she uh, shouldn't be doing that, that it demeaned the office or the, the stature of the first lady. But then when Melania Trump did it, a lot of those same uh, folks on the Republican side of the aisle didn't complain at all. And so that becomes kind of an interesting uh, double standard. Same exact sort of fashion state, fashion look, and yet people complained about it. On the other hand, people also who were Democrats tended to make a big deal or lean more on the liberal side, tended to make a big deal of how beautiful Michelle Obama's arms were and how great and strong she looked and used that uh, in a very positive kind of way. So they're talking about arms and then sort of ignored what happened with Melania Trump and the way that she looks in terms of her, uh, her physique. Um, and, you know, they weren't saying, oh, well, Melania looks great, too. They just sort of didn't address that issue so or used it as a political ploy saying, oh, the Republicans didn't like Michelle Obama. And so it became kind of an interesting, something as simple as whether or not your dress had sleeves became a partisan issue. Uh, and so I think that that's definitely one simple kind of example of it. The other, another example would be sort of the... Um, uh, with the picture, the I just want to k- stick with the picture for a second because when I'm looking, and I am looking at that picture, I have it in front of me, but yeah. I've always thought of huh? Melania and Michelle as polar opposites in many different ways. But then they're both sitting there, as you say, having a cup of tea. And I don't actually, this is a similarity. I don't picture either yeah. Melania or Michelle sipping tea in that context <laughs> for different reasons, yeah. but perhaps the, you know, yeah. the same behavior doesn't fit either one of them to me. That's all. That's my comment. Yeah, well, and I think that's kind of an, an interesting, different kind of comment for uh, for the expectations then of first ladies, right? The yeah. sipping tea and having a nice photo op before they go have their private uh, tour of the White House is something that you would expect, and that a lot of first ladies have done most of uh, most of the 20th century. There there has been the same sort of first lady exchange and a very similar sort of setting. They take nice pictures together, doing something like having tea, because that's a very traditionally feminine kind of uh, thing to do, and it seems like a first lady-ish kind of thing to do. Um, and so they do that, and that's the photo that comes out of the event, and then everything else is private from that. Um, so I think, you know, to your point, it may not seem like something that either of them do, and you could think about others, too. Like, I don't think Nancy Reagan would probably be sipping tea, yet she had to host a lot of teas. You know, kind of, and I don't know her personally. I didn't know her personally, so I, I can't say for sure. But it didn't. She didn't strike me as someone who did that uh, in the same way that you're talking about, like Melania or Michelle, not seeming like tea sippers. You know, uh, so so I think that's one of the things where first ladies often, all first ladies often get sort of roped into things that may not characteristically meet their personalities as individuals, but because of the expectations of the situation, they end up having to to engage in those kinds of feminized uh, rituals. One of the things you mentioned, and I've always been probably uh, more critical of, uh, or critical of Melania, and uh, but th- this is a point that you brought out that I guess I hadn't thought about that Michelle Obama, for instance, 
knew more, had more experience in in the political arena, uh, and had a sense of where her husband was going. I'm sure, and was interested in politics. And she had to. She was she was in that environment where I, you know, Melania had absolutely no idea that she was. I don't think in real, you know, I uh, obviously Trump had said he may want to be president someday, but never involved in politics per se. So she had to kind of was right. kind of thrown into all of this. So right from the beginning and having had no experience. So I, it Absolutely. kind of softened me up to her, I guess. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things that people don't really often think about is that, you know, we, we expect that these women have a sense, uh, have, a, have some sort of credential coming in and they don't, they, they've been doing other things with their lives. And so while we tend to compare them Head to head, we don't always take into consideration the expectations or the, the experiences that they'd had previously. Michelle Obama had a lot of experience dealing with audiences, right? As an attorney, as uh, uh, when she worked for the, the University of Chicago hospitals, and she was dealing with lots of different kinds of audiences, lots of different kinds of publics. She knew about having to appeal to different groups and having to, uh, you know, make her case to others. Melania's uh, professional experience is really based on looking alluring, right, and being able to take direction from others. So she wasn't really about verbally appealing to other people or constructing messages to appeal to a constituency. And most first ladies of the past have had at least a little bit of uh, experience uh, dealing with with potential constituents and trying to to earn votes and, and support of the electorate. Um, you know, even, for example, Laura Bush. Laura Bush is, has some of the highest favorability ratings of any first lady in the modern era. And she had also the most experience campaigning because between her husband's own campaigns and then helping work on uh, George H.W. Bush's presidential campaigns and things like that, she'd had so many years of experience dealing with publics in, a, in a, the way that a first lady eventually does Melania Trump had none of that, really. And so we were a little bit hard on her, I think, overall, because we tend to expect that she has the same experience as all of the others when she really doesn't have as much or she has different experience. And all first ladies come with different kinds of experience. Yeah, and I think their experiences but, but I, were so different, which obviously you point out in the book. I think my biggest yeah. criticism, and I think it was a criticism of a lot of women, of Michelle Obama was her the mom in chief uh, the, it wasn't yeah. mom in chief the mom I forgot what the title is but you know she's the well maybe it was mom in chief kind of yeah, narrative chief, that yeah. she projected <laughs> yeah, it, and I wanted to say Michelle Michelle what are you doing talk about a new era this is somebody who has a JD from Harvard Law School and Princeton and and we and and you're Talking about being a good mom and a good wife and a good spouse, that's fine. But playing that down, I guess, always really bothered me because I so respected her for her intellect and and all of the stuff that goes along with it. And that was always sort of in the background. Now, maybe it worked because her husband got elected for a second, uh, you know, Obama got elected uh, for a second term. Um, But, yeah, that that was my – it was always there, like – why are you doing this? Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, it, it it sort of it is it is one of the biggest criticisms that a lot of folks who are, uh, especially a lot of educated women, tend to have that criticism of her. Like, she is she is well 
loved and respected by a lot of people. And she's one of the, probably I think in terms of polling data, she's one of the top like three most, uh, most favored first ladies of the modern era since they've been doing the polling data. Um, but actually this sort of is where my two books from this year, because I have Melania or Melania and Michelle, and then I did a book called Moms in Chief that I took from her, uh, Michelle Obama's speech when she called herself the mom in chief. And in it, I talk about exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, she downplays the idea of all of her other accomplishments to upsell her status as mother and as a good mother and a good wife. And what that's about is really the idea that we still have pulled a lot of stereotypes about women in politics. And so one of the ways that she could overcome some of the differences uh, between, you know, the perceived differences uh, that were getting played up, especially in the primaries in 2008 between her and past first ladies and between her and other spouses of presidential nominees was to actually embrace that role because it is such a revered role, the role of mother. And so she, in my opinion as well, I, I agree with you. I think she took it to an extreme and then downplayed too much her professional accomplishments because she had so much to, um, so much that she could have balanced a little bit better. Um, but in order to not become a liability to her husband, she ended up, I think, taking it to the extreme in terms of embracing that. And I'm not saying she doesn't love being a mother um, and that that isn't a, a, a very important part of her life. It's just that, you know, she had a lot more of well-rounded credentials than then she ended up really talking about very often. And my so assumption is that, that all of these ladies, uh, I mean, it, on some level, uh, they're all good mothers. Can't we use that just mm-hmm. that, okay, we accept and your mothering is different and you do it differently because all mothers, you yeah. know, have do it. So we, and as you say, I guess that's what the expectation for the American public is. We have to focus on this, um, that yeah. it's such an old, isn't this sort of an old kind of, view of the first ladies, all all first ladies. I mean, can't we change that? Is or <laughs> oh, it would be great if we could. <laughs> I think it would be great if we could change that. And just for for women in general, um, I think one of the ways that it will eventually have to start shifting would be if a woman got elected president, and then we had uh, the whatever we end up calling him, a first gentleman or you know, a male in the role that fills the first ladies. Then I think it would really force people to think about what have we been doing to these to these women in the past in terms of confining them to these restricted roles. Um, but then at the same time, it's also one of those things where it's hard because there's the political liability issue and we have a very large and diverse country. And so it's really hard to not become a liability. And we see this with, you know, in, in other campaigns, for example, you know, if we look at some of the, the less popular spouses of, of presidential nominees, like for example, Teresa Hines Carey, very powerful woman did not allow herself to take on the role of, you know, mother and good, good wife and was, just harangued for it. I mean, people gave her such a hard time. There were these just atrocious skits on, on shows like Saturday Night Live where, you know, they had uh, people playing her and then they'd have, they had, I remember this one scene where the person who was playing the fake Bill Clinton was giving the fake John Kerry the advice of ditching the wife because having an, an overactive spouse was problematic for mm. the candidate. And so it was Bill Clinton both harassing, you know, like the, the, the skit actually made fun of Hillary Clinton's verbalism, verbal 
stature and also Teresa Hines Carey. And so the women get punished when they're a little too verbal or, or when they don't fit that uh, kind of mode, and then they become liabilities for their husbands. And that's really troubling, especially as we're moving into a modern era, or modern, we are in a modern era, but as yeah. we move forward and women are, you know, doing so many amazing things, and a lot of these, these first ladies and the spouses of nominees are so interesting, and we don't let them be as interesting as they are, and that's just unfortunate for us and for them. We create these caricatures of women instead of actually real women. And we're doing that with Melania and Michelle. We're, we sort of create these caricatures or these ideas of what we want them to be, uh, oftentimes driven by our partisan perspectives, instead of letting them be the people that they are in all of the rich, good and ugly that comes along with that. Yeah, and I think the media is responsible for that. I mean, I'm thinking then we end up yeah. making stories. It's just storytelling. We talk about Melania sure as uh, being wanting to uh, wanting to uh, sort of copy or replicate like Jackie Kennedy. Well, Melania Trump yeah. is so different than Jackie Kennedy. Maybe the dre- a yep. dress or two that she's worn, that could be, or her <laughs> fashion. But other than that, the backgrounds, yeah. they, where they come from, who they are. I mean, uh, I was just in actually last year in Slovenia and Lublania where Melania went to school yeah. but like really didn't graduate from from college and then her right. little village where she grew up well that's very different than Jackie Kennedy I mean we don't really look at yeah. where these ladies come from wherever they come from and and make right. it real I guess that's what bothers me yeah. um well and I know, think one of the things yeah, that just in, in pointing that I'm sorry go ahead no go ahead it is well and in just what you've pointed out there I think one of the interesting similarities between Melania and Michelle that doesn't get talked about very often is their background. They both come from much more modest backgrounds than any of our previous first ladies or than many of our previous first ladies. And so it's, it's really interesting because we make them, as you said, you know, we make them seem like they're so different and yet they have a lot of things that are in common that we just don't want to look at or we don't want to think about because we like the controversy. And I think you're right about the press. The press likes the controversy of it too. And they like to make the story. And, and sometimes they get a story, you know, somebody's doing an article and they get a story in their head about something or they have a perspective on something. And instead of actually digging past their own perspective, they just want the story to fit or they want to tell the easier story. And so, you know, instead of talking about the modest backgrounds of both of these women, instead you have this sort of, oh, they're so different because one is more gregarious and the other is more quiet. And so, uh, so I think there is a lot of responsibility to be taken in that, on that front by the press. I think you're absolutely right on that front. Yeah, talk about the realities of their circumstances. How did Melania get here? I mean, she grew up in a very a communist country, a very poor background, mm-hmm. you know, uneducated family. All on it, and now she's the you know first lady of the United States. Uh, but yeah. she's also an immigrant. Now, uh, Michelle right. is not. She comes from a, a working sure. class family in the south side of Chicago. That's a whole different framework. Let's talk about it and, and how she got here. I mean, I think that those, you know, we do have a very diverse population. We can all learn from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I yeah. just want to ask you, because I know Betty Ford, now she was one of yeah. those ladies, first ladies, who really did speak out and spoke out on issues yeah. Uh, and uh, and spoke differently than say what her husband was proposing. She was pro-choice. Right. She talked about her breast cancer when you never even right. had, in that era talked to you weren't supposed to even mention the word breast. 
and cancer, <laughs> you could, or cancer, and then right. talking or about cancer. her breast cancer. She did all of it, and just that's what she did. And she sometimes embarrassed him, or at least that's what the press said. But yep. she still supported him, and she was still mother of four. So she was sort of yep. a, a maverick in that sense, wasn't she? She certainly was. I think Betty Ford was definitely a maverick in that sense. And it's kind of interesting because when you really look closely at all of the first ladies, most of them did have sort of their own maverick moments. Betty Ford, all that you've described, definitely very much a maverick. When you talk about like Rosalind Carter and her press for um, mental health and and improving mental health uh, offerings, mental health care, and all the things that she did, she was very much, she was so much a maverick that they started to try to create laws to rein her in a bit, <laughs> uh, how much influence she could actually have. So, I mean, Rosalind Carter, most people now think back and they're like, oh, she was so nice. And it's like, yeah, but she did all of these interesting things. And so we can kind of go through most of the first ladies. And even like I, I make the argument in the book that Melania Trump, even though a lot of people tend to think she's, you know, they, they tend to think she's not as active of a first lady, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about the uh, her sort of quiet approach to what she's doing is that she's also, by pulling back sometimes, she's offering potential future first ladies the opp- opportunity to also pull back and say, you know what, I don't need to meet all of your requirements. Right? I just need to do what I need to do here too. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, I think it was Lady Bird Johnson who had said that the, the first lady is uh, is is... I'm going to totally botch the quote because it's not a quote. It's like I'm paraphrasing. But she, she said something along the lines of, of you know, the first lady is, a, is, is an, a, an, an official elected by one person, her husband, and that he's the one constituent she needs to, to please. That, and that so is well said. And that is, is yes, that's true. That. And, and sort of yeah. Yeah, that's addressing the point I made. You know, maybe it, um, yeah. Melania Trump doesn't necessarily speak that well. And so maybe she shouldn't be out there talking and giving speeches and and doing what she can't do and try to find her own mark, whatever that happens to be, but not trying to yeah. sort of emulate someone else or try to be what we want her to be. So your book is really yeah. interesting. I, 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 I recommend well, it. It's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a good read. It's a really good read. We have a couple minutes left. Anything else you want to say to the audience? Uh, give us a websites and stuff that we can go to for more information about. Uh, you know, you've written other books too, as I said in the beginning. So, yeah. some of the yeah. well, uh, so yeah. So this year, I, I, I actually it's been a very busy year. <laughs> in January, I got uh, my Moms in Chief book came out, and that deals more with the the campaigns, the presidential campaigns, and the spouses of presidential nominees. And so if they're interested in that, that's a University Press of Kansas book. And so they can go to, uh, they can look up Moms in Chief or look up the University Press of Kansas uh, for that book. But Melania Michelle is coming out from, uh, it's the uh, the trade press of Indiana University Press, and it's called Red Lightning Books. And so if they are, if folks are interested, they can either go to the University, uh, Indiana University Press website and look up uh, Melania and Michelle, or uh, they can probably find it at uh, most local bookstores. Will, you know, if you get to go to an independent bookstore, they, they'll probably can order it for you if you, they don't have it already. Or, you know, if you're more into the Amazon, you can order it off of Amazon, that kind of thing. Um, and if you're interested in some in more information about me, the uh, Boston University website has a lot of, uh, has a link. You could just look me up on that site. Terrific. Tammy, thanks so much for being on the show. Tammy V. Hill, Melania and Michelle, oh. First Ladies in a New Era. Great talking to you today. Great. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Bye. 
I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 